Hello, and welcome to Cathedra, the podcast for creatives, storytellers, worshipers, and artists in the body of Christ. I'm your host, Leland Mooring, and today's episode is titled, Still Mighty. In Ecclesiastes, God's Word says this, that He has placed eternity into the hearts of all men. So in this episode, we'll explore the intersection where artistic inspiration and revelation meet. Is art only a commodity, or is it first a language of the divine? Is it a product or a conversation between humanity and God? Today we'll try and answer the question, how do we cultivate a worldview or a biblical narrative that has a greater definition for the value of art that goes beyond money, culture, and influence? And finally, what is God's generational purpose for artistic expression, and what is His eternal purpose for His artists and His kingdom? I'm so excited to have you with me today. It's going to be an awesome conversation. Let's get into it. Well, hello, hello. My name is Leland Mooring, and welcome to episode two of Cathedra. This is the podcast for creatives, storytellers, worshipers, and artists in the body of Christ. Um, In our last episode, titled Cover Art, we discussed the vision for the city of God, that you and I are God's city, and that His city is not a place, but it's a people, and that if we are God's creatives— then we are also commissioned by him as ambassadors of this kingdom to carry the culture of the city of God in our hearts and in our minds everywhere we go. That just as Daniel was used as an instrument of redemption and as a witness to Nebuchadnezzar to interpret the dream inside of his heart and also as a witness to the culture of Babylon, so you and I are God's modern day Daniels, his creatives, his storytellers, his artists, his worshipers, living in a modern-day Babylon. I'm pumped because I feel like episode one um, cover art is really going to lay the foundation uh, for where we're going to go today. In this episode, I want to take us on a journey into a kingdom definition of artistry and, and, and a value for art that moves beyond culture Um, the economy of art, and moves even beyond influence, and into a supernatural, or another way of saying it, a divine definition for the meaning and value of art. I believe that God has three divine purposes for art and artistic expression in His kingdom. One is the revelatory purpose, two, the generational purpose, and three, the eternal purpose for art and artistic expression. In the heart of every creative and every artist on planet Earth is a longing for revelation. In Ecclesiastes, it says it this way, that God has placed eternity into the hearts of every human being on planet Earth. Meaning, as God's creatives and artists, we are born, and also as His creation, we are born into the world with eternity in our hearts, a longing for the revealing of God. Any attribute of God's nature made manifest to you and I is the glory of the Lord. And I believe first and foremost, before before art is anything else, I believe the first primary divine purpose for art and artistic expression is a language of the divine. Art is a heavenly dialect 
that God has given you and I as his creatives to speak back and forth with him, to converse with God and for him to reveal to us his mind, his thoughts and his ways, his goodness, his truth and his beauty, which all come from his nature. Webster Dictionary has two definitions for the word revelation. And I want to read them to you right now. I think they're pretty interesting. The first definition is this. Revelation is a surprising and previously unknown fact, especially one that is made known in a dramatic way. That's a pretty cool one. The second definition is this. The divine or supernatural disclosure to humans of something relating to human existence or the world. I love both of those definitions. And you know what? When I think about both of those, I feel like they find their home in Christ. They're sort of married together in the revelation of Jesus. That first, when God reveals himself to you and I, we cannot help but be dramatically changed. I take a look in scripture and I I find that in every single great story in the Bible, whether that's God revealing himself to Moses in a burning bush. That's pretty dramatic. Or God revealing himself in the wrestling with Jacob and Jacob being marked for the rest of his life as the one who wrestled with God. Or Paul on the road to Damascus. You know, here he is one minute, a murderer of Christians, a persecutor of the church. And then the next minute, he's literally blinded by the glory of God And his life is turned upside down and he becomes literally a pillar to the first church. So it's impossible to see God and not be transformed and not live differently. And this is where I think the other part of Webster Dictionary's definition of revelation is important. That there is in this moment when God reveals something to you and I, He's showing us a previously unknown fact or reality that we were not aware of about his nature and about his character, that when we're made aware of it, we can't live the same ever again. My prayer for you and I as God's creatives, storytellers, worshipers, and artists in his kingdom, that if you and I get anything from today, from this episode, first before anything else, is that if if you have a gifting to tell stories, or you have a gifting to write narratives, or you have a gifting to play music and other genres of music, or you have a gifting for film or a gifting for any of the art, different art forms, it's not just a gift that God has given you, but it is a language that God has given you a dialect, a language that is divine. The enemy wants you and I to get not only so wrapped up in our gifting, but also to have a lesser view of the value of art and the gifting that God's given you. One, he either wants us to only identify with the gift that we have and see ourselves not as sons and daughters, but as artists only, And then second, he wants us to see that the only value for art is its ability to influence and win people over. Meaning if the enemy can't get me to self-identify with the gifting of artistry that God's given me, then the second thing he will do is to twist or distort 
the divine purpose and heavenly intention that God has for artistry and artistic expression. He'll try to downgrade my perspective to a lower paradigm about the value of art, that its only utility is its ability to influence people and influence culture. If the enemy can do that, then he can get us basically into sort of a rat race of maximum impact upon culture through the gifting God's given you, where you'll begin to identify yourself or the success of the gifting God's given you or the success of your role in the kingdom as an artist solely based upon your perceived impact on the culture around you. All the while, God has given you not just a gift, but he's given you a language that's first before anything else. It's meant for the secret place with him. God wants us to create a secret creative history with him that when nobody else is watching, when no one else is looking, that like Matthew 6, when we shut the door to go be with Jesus, he wants that gifting and that language that he's given you to be a part, that artistic language, to be a part of your intimate secret life with the Lord. Whether if you play music, getting out your instrument and being able to sing and allow the spirit of God to inspire and touch your imagination. Or if it's your ability to paint, maybe getting out of canvas. And instead of thinking about trying to paint something for someone else or painting something that would speak to culture, instead, say, God, speak to me right now through this painting. Reveal to me something that I, ha- that I did not know about you before. Reveal to me in this moment, God, something about your nature, a previously unknown reality about your nature and your goodness that I did not know before this moment. Show me by your spirit and by your word, and I'm going to use this gifting of artistry that you've given me to commune and dialogue with your mind so that I can know your ways and your thoughts. I promise you, if you and I as God's artists and creatives would begin to see this gifting as not just a gifting for culture, but first as a language or dialect to to converse with the heart and mind of God, I promise you it will dramatically change your definition of success. I feel the presence of God (laughs) sitting here in my dining room uh, kitchen um, at currently 9.53 p.m. at night, uh, which is why I'm speaking a little bit softer. I don't want to wake up my kids. Um, But it's amazing how God's presence is so near And he is, the heart of God is after this tribe of people within his kingdom. The heart of God is radically pursuing his creatives, his storytellers, his worshipers, and his artists to not begin to identify themselves any longer with the spirit of the age or the culture's definition of success, but to begin to identify themselves radically with his heart, with his mind, with his ways. God, what is your perspective of artistry? What is your pers- your perspective? What is your purpose and intention, your divine intention, God, for 
for this time and for my generation and generations after me and your eternal purpose for artistry and artistic expression. Speak that to us now, Holy Spirit, so that we can begin to live like ambassadors for your kingdom. The incredible thing about the kingdom of God and beholding the Lord, the incredible thing about revelation is this, that that just as Paul, after seeing the glory of the Lord, was transformed and changed, he began to change and transform the world. It is impossible after seeing Jesus to not be transformed and the world around you as a result also not be impacted by the revelation of the glory of God that God has given to you by his spirit. So just as there is first a revelatory purpose and intention in the heart of God for artistry and artistic expression, it's a language first before anything else. Second, there is then a generational impact that God wants to work through his artists, through his creatives, his storytellers, his worshipers, and his Levites in the world today. That through that gifting or that language that he's given you, he wants to begin to sow seeds of the kingdom that will outgrow and outlast your life and will impact your children and your children's children. I'm sorry I'm having a tough time. i got to hold this together. Thank you. Help me, Holy Spirit. There's a movie out about the life of Van Gogh. It's, uh, it's titled, I think the title is At Eternity's Gate. And the unique thing about this movie is that, um, one, it's shot really wonderfully and the acting is incredible. But what's really unique is that all of the dialogue from the movie is pulled directly uh, from Van Gogh's journals. So apparently, I didn't know this before the movie, but Van Gogh had kept very detailed journals of his life and his experiences. And so they basically use this as the script for the movie, which is incredible. So it's a very intimate look into his mind and his life experience. And as I watch the movie, my heart goes out for him because you can tell that he wrestled with a lot of mental issues ranging from depression to all sorts of other things that were ravaging his life. And he dealt with severe loneliness and a lot of rejection. He was very much seen as, uh, he wasn't popular in his life. Um, he, his art was seen as weird, a kind of on the edge. And it was very strange at the time. I believe I'm not an art historian, but I believe at the time, uh, realism was very, very popular. So, um, you know, realism, I, I believe, and you guys can comment and correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but I believe it's the art form, the visual art form of basically painting something that looks so realistic that it nearly looks like a photograph. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to any of these art museums. I, I Me and Casey, uh, the other half of the band Leland, we had a chance to go visit the Louvre in Paris, and you get to see these incredible realism uh, paintings from these painters from, you know, the 15th century. And, and they just literally look like 
HD photographs. I mean, from five feet away, it looks like someone took a 4K picture of somebody's face. And and you really can't even notice it's a painting until you get so close up, you can see the brush strokes, and then you realize, wow, this is this is a painting that somebody did. It's incredible. It's it's an amazing gifting and language that God can give somebody that ability. But Van Gogh had this very particular dialect when he would paint. Um, his brush strokes were very pronounced, and it looked like this. You know, sort of. If you've ever seen a Van Gogh painting up close, it when you get really close to it, it sort of looks almost chaotic, and you have to step further back to begin to see the picture that he's and the image he's trying, the message he's trying to communicate. But he believed this is the way that God made him, and he believed over and over. He actually had a very spiritual perspective of this gifting God had given him. He believed that he was called by God to create and to make art to speak to the world and to reveal to the world uh, beauty and goodness and truth through art. And there's a particular moment in the movie that is, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And it's a moment where Van Gogh is seated outside of a church with a priest. And the local priest is sort of like speaking on behalf of the people. Uh, He's not a very, you're not very fond of him in this scene. He sort of plays a little bit of the bad guy, the priest being pressured by the people of the town who didn't want Van Gogh there. They didn't like his art. They thought he was kind of a weird guy. They could tell he had some mental issues. They didn't want him in the town. And so the priest is seated with Van Gogh, and he's trying to discourage him about this gifting. And he sort of says, he says, are you sure that God has gifted you? I'm paraphrasing. Are you sure that God has really gifted you? For, uh, to, to be an artist. He said, don't you think that if God really gave you a gifting to and a calling to be an artist, that, that people would actually like it? Don't you think that you would be popular, that people would, in, would enjoy or take pleasure in your painting? And there was just this aha moment of revelation and clarity that you could see it on his face as he said it. He said, Maybe, he said, or, or maybe God has given me a gifting to paint for a generation that is not yet alive. Maybe God has given me a gifting to paint for a generation that is not yet born. Those words were prophetic because now there are entire museums dedicated to this man's work, to his life. And I think that speaks to the generational divine purpose of God for artistry. That's why in the kingdom of God, success is different. Success in the kingdom is obedience. Obedience is success for the believer who's an artist. Obey. If God has wired you for this thing that you love, if God has wired you to make films, if God has wired you to tell stories, if God has wired you to write songs that bring people on a journey, if God has wired you to dance, if God has wired you to take pictures and photography and capture 
still moments. If God has wired you that way, then the kingdom's definition of success for you is to obey. Creation doesn't have a choice but to be what it's created to be. A tree has no other choice to be anything else but a tree. And it's glorifying God by being who God created it to be. The Bible says that God made you and I in his image. And Dorothy Sayers says this about God's nature. She said this. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we have the moment where God speaks to himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. And he says, let us make man in our own image. And then in verse 27, he does it. He makes us into his image. Dorothy Sayers said this. If the Bible ended at Genesis 1.27 and we had no more scripture to, to try and see what God was like, we had no more Bible to describe to us after verse 27 who God is like or what he's like, then verses 1 of Genesis 1 to verse 27 would tell us that God is, above everything else, the creator. God is the creator, and he's made you and I to co-create with him. When I think about the artists that have made a massive impact on my personal creative life, almost all of them, the major ones, the ones that are kind of like pillars in my creative sound, those ones who are like pillars holding the whole thing up, they really are artists that have gone before me. I think about bands like Delirious. I remember the first time I heard Delirious's Glow album, and it literally changed my life. My musical world was turned upside down, and I didn't know you could make music like that. I remember the first time I heard Michael W. Smith's instrumental album titled Freedom, that also changed my life. Um, the very first time I heard Hillsong's You Are Near album impacted me. The very first time I heard Coldplay's Rush of Blood to the Head album dramatically impacted my life. The first time I heard the Beatles' White album blew me away. <laughs> and so when I think about these artists that have gone before me, they were from prior generations. And they had a generational impact at the very least, by impacting me. Scripture says that the kingdom of God exists from generation to generation, meaning the kingdom of God has no end, no generational end. If it's truly a kingdom culture, if it's truly a kingdom characteristic, then it will bear fruit not only in this generation, but in generations to come. And I believe as God's creatives and artists, you and I get to play an incredibly important role in making art that like a fabric being woven together is on one hand, it's attached 
to previous artists from previous generations because you and I are both inspired by artists that have come before us. And in one hand, the thread that we're weaving is being connected to previous artists from the past and then also stretching out strands to the future generation that's going to come after us so that they might be inspired and by so doing, continuing to testify about the good, the true, and the beautiful, which is the characteristics of the kingdom of God that exist from generation to generation. So don't give up and don't stop. If God has wired you to do this, if God has wired you to create with him, then continue to create. Your success in the kingdom is your obedience to resound the way God has pre-wired you to resound in the world. And if you don't quit, and if you stay true to how God has wired you, then it will make an impact, not only in this generation, but in generations to come. Which brings us to our final divine purpose that comes from the heart of God for artistry and artistic expression. And I believe that is the eternal purpose for art and artistic expression. I want to take us to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, and it says this, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I love this scripture because at the beginning it's telling us that God has made everything beautiful in its time. We can trust that God has predestined that you and I would be alive at this moment, in this time. You could not have been born at any other time except now. You and I were destined to be alive in this generation, in this time. According to Acts, it says that God predestined the times, the seasons, the boundaries, the nations, the languages that everyone would speak, where everyone would live before any of us ever existed. God preordained it so that we might feel our way towards him and find him. So God makes everything beautiful in his time. God preordained that you and I would be here. That should light you and I up as, as artists and creatives in the world today. God destined that you and I would be here to make a generational impact. But also, he has placed eternity into our hearts. Meaning, there is a day coming when every tear will be wiped away. There is a perfect day coming. Paul said, I see dimly through a mirror now. But in that day talking about the final day when we step into endless ages with Christ. On that day, I will know him fully, even as I am now fully known by God. My goodness, that should light all of us up right now. That God has an eternal purpose for artistry. Every good and perfect thing comes from the Lord. And if it comes from God's mind, then it has an eternal purpose, because God himself is eternal and we will enter into endless ages with the Lord. And I believe when we get to heaven, this is my personal opinion, but I believe that when we get to heaven, we will actually be doing things with God. I don't think we're going to be lying dormant, sitting around with, you know, twiddling our thumbs or playing harps on clouds <laughs> or floating around like Casper. I really do believe that we're actually going to be doing things with God because 
Think about all the beautiful, good, and true things that we experience here on the earth. That though the earth is filled with sin and death, I understand that, and it's not perfect. There are still so many good and beautiful and true things that we enjoy every single day with our family, with our friends, uh, in our cultures. And I believe that those things are going to continue, and yet even at a greater measure of glory and perfection in God's perfect kingdom, when heaven perfectly comes to the earth and we begin to enter into this endless age with the Lord where there is no more sin and no more no more death, no room for sin and death and the perfect glory of God. And I believe that in that time, whatever you and I have been doing on this earth, I believe is preparation. Not only is it is it going to impact the generations after us, but it's also preparation for what we'll be doing in eternity. There's a wonderful book I'll recommend by an amazing uh, theologian who speaks about heaven and has dedicated his whole life to the study of the topic of heaven, and it's a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. I would encourage you to read it. Go take some time. If you've ever wondered, man, what does the Bible have to say about heaven? The Bible actually has quite a bit to, to say about heaven, and then it also infers a lot that we can sort of, you know, make some connections by looking at what Scripture has to say about the heart of God, the nature of God, and we can infer a little bit and use our imagination. It's okay to use your imagination and contemplate about what heaven is going to be like. The Bible says that the angels that surround the throne room of God, they have eyes without and within and six wings, and they are have eyes all over them, and they are, they are literally created to behold the fullness of the glory of God. It says that every time they see God, and they see a new, previously unknown reality about God's nature, they, God reveals a new revelation to them about who He is, that these angels that are made to look at God, they're wired to behold God, these angels fall down and cover their face and they begin to cry again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That Those words holy literally mean, roughly translated, they mean there is no one like you, there is no one like you, there is no one like you, or I've never seen anyone like you before, I've never seen anyone like you before, I've never seen anyone like you before. If now, in a fallen world that's filled and polluted with sin and death, if even now, you and I, by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and through our imagination, God can speak to us, and like a little window or a door can open up, and we can get a picture of the glory of God, albeit dimly through a mirror, if we can still see God's glory and be impacted and changed and therefore as a response begin to resound artistically in whatever way God has pre-designed you to artistically express his glory. If we can't help but do that now, how much more are we going to be doing that in the perfect glory of God? I believe that this life is preparation for eternity, that there are things that God wants to teach us now to prepare our hearts for the fullness of His glory in eternity. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast today, to this episode. Thank you for spending your precious time with me. And I just pray that the Spirit of God would encourage you and remind us today
that one, God has given us this gifting of artistry and artistic expression as first a language to commune with his divine mind and heart that we can learn and understand the depths of the mind and the heart of God to know his thoughts and to know his ways through this gifting or this language of artistry that God's given us that it's first a gifting for the secret place second that as God is revealing his glory to us that he's also changing the world around us and using us as instruments to impact and sow seeds not only in this generation but in generations to come that success in the kingdom looks like obedience and trust that God will do the rest. And finally, that this gifting God has given you is not just a gifting for planet earth and for this generation or generations to come, but it's also preparation for eternity that you and I will be continuing to co-create with God in the age to come. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining me today. And be on the lookout for our next episode of Cathedra. Talk to you soon.